Welcome to Playback, a variety podcast. On today's show, we talk about this year's Oscar nominees luncheon, as well as some new releases like the Lego Batman movie and John Wick Chapter 2. A little bit later, I'll be talking to a rival director, Denis Villeneuve. So stick around. Okay, we're back. I, th- I guess we're getting into the home stretch here, Janelle. That's with right. The, uh, award season. I'm ready to declare front runners finally. Yes. <laughs> like two weeks out before the Oscars, I'm ready to say SAG well, has spoken. SAG has spoken. Viola DGA Davis has, has a real spoken. shot at this. Yeah, <laughs> I think she's going to be all right. <laughs> DGA, uh, the ASC, American Society of Cinematographers, uh, were that this past weekend. That was a bit of a throat loop there. Yeah, a little bit. Um, I, you know, I. Greg Fraser, Lion DP, he won Camera Image. So I kind of thought there was going to be a surprise. I just didn't know what. I didn't mm-hmm. know if maybe Bradford Young would win for Arrival or if, uh, uh, you know, I didn't know that La La Land was going to win that. And it didn't. But I talked to Greg Fraser at the uh, nominees launch. Yeah. And he said his money was on Linus for, really? for, for La La, La, La Land. Land. <laughs> so. Well, what are they supposed to say, though? Like, oh, no, I'm totally going to win this thing. <laughs> yeah, right. Like, I don't know if you saw the um, little snappy of me and Emma Stone at the Oscars luncheon, Mm-mm. but she was talking about premiering La La Land in Venice. And I said, well, you're being modest, but you also won Best Actress there. And she goes, that's not being modest. Like, am I supposed to just announce that? <laughs> like, oh, and by the way, I won Best Actress. And I was like, yes, you should tattoo it on your forehead. I, mean, yeah. I would put my resume forward every time <laughs> uh so you know what can we really say dga went to damien obviously mm-hmm. we're not like expecting any surprises win. are we yeah i mean it's like except in those boring below the line categories oh whoops sorry i fell asleep <laughs> for a second there what were you saying <laughs> yeah so you know i hear the words below the and it's like a you know a trigger i just fall asleep it is this is a joke by the way chris seems to think that i am not impressed <laughs> By which is hilarious because you know I have a thing for editors. So really, why? I don't know. I just dated a lot of editors in a row. I also went through a magician phase because though, so they spend time means. in dark rooms by themselves, growing their facial hair, and that could pretty much describe anyone living I've dated on recent pieces. 10 years. Yeah. Um, you know, so I was just like, let's talk about some other stuff. Like, sure. What else can we talk about? You've seen Lego Batman movie. Yeah, so. I was really pleasantly surprised. And let's, you know, when um, is it uh, Chris Miller and Phil Lord? did the mm-hmm. first Lego movie. I was like, I'm not going to see that. That looks terrible. What a dumb idea. Then it's amazing, which was sort of how I felt about their 21 Jump Street movie and also how I felt about their series Last Man on Earth. And I realized these guys just take terrible ideas and make wonderful things from them. That seems to be their brand. <laughs> so we'll see how Han Solo, Han Solo goes. Yes, I'm very excited. But uh, so I didn't, I thought that, you know, Lego Batman, Batman is very funny in the Lego movie. You know, he's, he's an angsty orphan. But I was like, are they going to sustain <laughs> that joke for a full movie. Yeah, it turns out they did. It's in the music. Isn't there like a song in the Lego movie? Yes, there's a song about me being an orphan. No, no, no. There's some, some like, death metal thing that happens there where they're like, no parents. (laughs) (laughs) Anyway, who's the guy? Will Will Arnett, Will Arnett, who's, like, might be one of the best Batmans ever. I'll say him and Christian Bale are my favorite Batmans. Or Batman. Batman. (laughs) (laughs) I I don't know if I'm going to be into that or not. I I, I like the Lego movie. I thought that the, the... call to worship on that mm-hmm. movie was a little overblown though I was like come on I don't disagree with that again I think I had such low expectations that I was like oh my gosh this is actually clever um, Lego Batman that was really <laughs> everyone funny. seems to love it yeah it's, for the most part it's really really well done I saw John Wick chapter 2 mm. did you see the first one 
I did, but we have you, discussed my triggers before, and this is an entire movie built around my trigger. <laughs> oh, well, this, the second one's not. Okay, at least. so can you say, that, do any dogs die in this one? Uh, no dogs die. I, I'm in. In fact, I think, I would say that there's something in this movie that's specifically for the people they triggered as an apology. That's fantastic. Then I am I am all in on John Wick too, which see I hear it. great things about. I loved it. Oh, I mean, good. I just I, I told. I mean, look, I'm turning my brain off when I go into these things, but like, I saw it like two nights ago or something. Uh, they're just yeah, it's ultra violent and I'm desensitized as hell. But like, it's awesome. There's a I place mean, for that. There's, <laughs> <laughs> and a, it, I think our, our critic De Bruges was writing about it like it was like a it's like a dance. Yeah, the way that the, just the choreography of the action and yeah, it totally is. And but there's there's funny character elements and there's this whole built-in mythology that they've expanded further in this oh, that's movie. Cool. Just this underworld of hitmen essentially and, and, and just it's it's really fascinating and I, I, I walked out of there I was like I could do John Wick movies forever I totally could just do one every other year or something I want to get Keanu in here to talk about that that'd oh, be gosh. awesome who by the way everyone says is the nicest person alive and I would, I would have you ever talked to love. him no I don't know if you know this but he looks exactly like my brother because no, um, my brother is also actually from the same town oh. that I believe I don't know if he grew up in or he was born in, but is half Hawaiian. Hmm. And my brother gets stopped all the time, and <laughs> given that, like you know, who you look like um, <laughs> play that up, man. And it's kind of eerie. And I've actually been told that I look a little bit like his sister, but I've never seen a picture of her, so I have no that's idea if that's weird. true or not. Doppelgangers. Yeah. But I saw him out. I think it was outside of like Alien Three years ago, and there was this weird moment when I was like walking down the street and I locked eyes with. Keanu Reeves and you know sometimes you're just like oh hey there's that person I know and then you realize oh my god I don't know you at all you're you're a celebrity and I just recognized you but he was looking at me like we were kind of, we kind of like this weird quizzical look and I was like maybe I really like do look like someone from his family <laughs> well he's he is one of the nicest guys I've ever talked That's, to I, I, I mean interviewed I've just him for heard the, nothing uh, but amazing stories I wrote like a, a couple of pieces a few years ago on the 20th anniversary of Speed which is Unequivocally, one of my favorite movies of all yeah. time. You like, know, one of my best friends up. is in that movie. Who? Beth Grant. She oh, Beth. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I yeah. talked to Beth for that piece because <laughs> I talked right, to all did. of the passengers on the That's bus. Right. Yeah. Uh, I think uh, two of them had passed away, yeah. but that was a fun story. And, and she just sings Canu's praises nonstop. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. They all do because he had. There was somebody on that bus. One of the. Uh, we're on a tangent now. One of the, one of, <laughs> one of the uh, passengers, one of the actors that played one of the passengers, like taught him. Shakespeare in Canada. Really? So it was like his Shakespearean teacher. Was that when he then went and did Hamlet? Yeah. Oh, interesting. Yeah. I remember there was a review of his Hamlet, um, and it, it it was meant as a compliment, I believe, but it, the, the poll quote was funny because it was something like, he gets all the words in the right places. <laughs> okay. <laughs> uh, what else? So um, can I ask a question? Yes. At the end of John Wick, he adopts, well, he steals, actually, a sweet little baby pit bull. Is that dog in this movie? That dog is in this movie. I'm so in. Okay. Go see it. Uh, we've got a Tony Erdman remake on the way that I'd love to talk about. Kind of amazing casting. I'm looking at the story now on Variety. It's got 136 comments. Like, Tony, uh, Tony <laughs> I don't think any story about Tony Erdman has 136 comments, <laughs> but the fact that there's a remake with Jack Nicholson finally back in the saddle is a big deal. I was excited about that, and then I was really excited that it looks like Kristen Wiig is going to play his daughter. Yeah. I'm not a huge fan of Tony Erdman, but uh, I'm there for this. I liked it. Seems like I think casting. it should have been about three hours shorter. I'm sorry. It was six <laughs> hours long, right? Yeah, it felt like it. Yeah. <laughs> it was unnecessarily long. I, I feel like 
yeah, there's like a rhythm you can get into watching it, mm-hmm. but like it's a little arbitrary. Yeah, like you, you don't you don't need that. But uh, he's he's back. I, I, I think everyone thought he was just done. Yeah, I mean. Sh- it's not like he needs the money. Like, just go hang out at Lakers games. This feels like an Oscar nomination. Like, I mean, I hate to say that sealed, preemptively, right? just, but come on, come on, he's perfect. Depending for that on where they take, like, what direction they take the movie. If it's if it's like you know, like they go too uh, glossy comedy with it, yeah. then no. But like, I suggested somebody like Kelly Fremont Craig to to direct it. Some somebody like that's the name, right? For, I don't know. You're looking at me. The Edge of Seventeen. Oh gosh, that would be amazing. Yeah, like yeah. and she, and you know. Did you ever see Edge of Seventeen? Still haven't seen it. <laughs> but you're suggesting. But I'm suggesting the they yeah. need they need to have a female direct this film because if you they if, if Paramount remakes a, a film, a foreign film from a female director and then just slaps mm. like Alexander Payne on it or something. I was gonna say Alexander Payne. I, it would be that is so crazy. That would be a great movie, but like, come on, we've yeah, got, it, it would they would probably get hit with some bad press for that. I think in, in this it day, it hadn't and age. even occurred to me, which is funny because I don't know if you know this, but I'm a woman. <laughs> I noticed. <laughs> I just think you know, like she, Kelly would be great because yeah. you know, there's the James Brooks connection there too. That I'm sure that you know Brooks would have a great recommendation for Jack about that. But anyway, I was yeah. trying to think of directors who are mainstream but quirky enough. You know what? Let's let, let's do uh, Phil Lord and Chris Miller. It'll, they it'll seem be to be perfect. able to do no wrong. They're a little busy though right now. Uh, we were talking briefly about the luncheon. You were backstage talking to the peeps. I was not backstage. I was not in backstage. a hotel room. It's the weirdest setup. Uh, publications and media basically get hotel rooms at the hotel where the luncheon is held, and then you wrangle all the uh, nominees who are there to attend oh, the yeah, luncheon yeah. to come into your hotel room. And it um, sounds kind of peculiar. They just basically pop from room were to room. Were you in an aquarium or something? Why do you like, say that? The green like oh, the, I know everyone what was makes going fun on of there. the green. <laughs> well, I just, I'm curious. What was going on? Like, it was, was it the, just lighting. the lighting. We were trying to be atmospheric and different oh, from okay. everyone else. So I'm, and, I'm uh, making fun of a creative choice. I didn't mean to do that. I'm sorry, guys. No, I mean, Preston. it does look odd when you watch the video, <laughs> but I have to say the photos look amazing. There's yeah. this photo of Mel Gibson that, oh, uh, it's just, you look at that and you're like, yeah, that's, that's a star. I have to check those out. Yeah, Mel was um, <laughs> really... Wonderful, you know, he came by and talked about uh, uh, working with Vince Vaughn and how some people thought it was a little strange to cast Vince Vaughn in such a serious role in Hacksaw Ridge. And he's like, it didn't even occur to me. Mm-hmm. You know, he's just a great actor. He is, but it threw me out of the. Movie. I know, I know. See, I think Vince Vaughn is fantastic <laughs> in the movie, and you—that's th- one of your problems. I, mean, I don't think he's bad in the movie. I just think it. I, it, it just takes me out of the movie. Mm-hmm. That's all. Like it's it's like like he's clearly committed to the part and playing a serious role, but I'm looking at dude from swingers playing a drill sergeant and it's uh, you know it just takes me out a little bit also sean levy uh dropped by you know because he's the uh, producer on arrival right. and uh keeps insisting he's also an ep on stranger things mm-hmm. keeps insisting barb is not alive people you need to let it go <laughs> barb is dead <laughs> i hate to be the want want guy here but i'm i'm not feeling stranger things either you didn't like the first I didn't season like stranger things did you make it through it i did and it just felt like the same kind of nostalgia that the entire community that embraced that show usually just dumps all over. So I didn't know what this, I couldn't figure out what this had that other things don't have. You know what? But I'm, I felt the same way about Super Eight. I could not. Oh, stand I didn't that like movie. Super Eight at all. I thought this this succeeded where Super Eight failed. Um, you know, one of the things I really liked about it was that it gave answers, and even though those answers might be kind of crazy, mm-hmm. it committed to them. Like on the OA. 
uh, which just was announced for a new season today, um, we we get some answers. Yeah. You know, and again, I, I admire that they went with, like, crazy answers. Um, but they also leave a lot open-ended. And Stranger Things just felt very satisfying because they answered pretty much all my questions. Mm-hmm. Did you ever see a movie I'm going to watch it again. Nines? I'll check it out again. With Ryan Reynolds? What was it? Did you ever see a movie called The Nines with Ryan Reynolds? I remember that movie. No, I, didn't, I, don't I, think I saw freaking it, love this movie because, and I don't want to give any spoilers because I think it's on Netflix and everyone should watch it because all these crazy things happen and it tells you why and you almost kind of have to laugh at how absurd the explanation is and you also have to admire that they committed to this batshit crazy premise. Yeah, well, I'll go back and watch again. I promise. Okay, but that'll why, be your why were we this talking weekend? about Stranger Things? Oh, Sean Levy. Sean the, Levy, the, yes. the, the luncheon. Yeah, I was. I was at a table with Rich Moore, director of Zootopia, uh, one of the makeup guys on Suicide Squad, Andy Nelson, sound mixer for La La Land, and Jess Goncher, the production designer for oh, Phil Caesar. Jess. He's awesome. Yeah, he did uh, Her. I think he might have been. No, that was, that was, that was uh, K.K. Barrett. You're right. What did Jess do with Spike Jess, Jones? Jess does, uh, I don't know if he, has he done a Spike movie? He does Bennett Miller's movies. He does Coen Brothers movies. He did Live By Night this year. He built an entire town oh, man. for that. The production design on Live By Night was fantastic. Yeah, yeah. I'm glad he at least had Hail Caesar for like a backup yeah. <laughs> this year to get nominated. Uh, but he's fun. Um, what is it like in there? Like, do they have. I hear that they tell the nominees, like, keep your speeches short. And we yeah, well, know they this year the they, photo, they did that but... really fun, in a really fun way. They had this short film that they made with Kate McKinnon as like a golden age starlet. Oh, is it the character she plays in Saturday Night Live? The one who's like, I was addicted to pills. Is that then... is that the character? I, I couldn't tell if it was because it was ringing a bell. Yeah, but I don't I don't know if it was an actual. Would you recognize the name? It was like Olivia Concave or something like that. It was, yeah. I know Concave was the last name, so it was like really? this hilarious last name. But anyway, the idea was she. It was a short film that was made for the nominees of the 11th annual Academy Awards, and it's like <laughs> tips for for your speech and stuff. And it was they gotta put this online. It was hilarious. I hope they do. There's no reason not to. But they do that. They have, you know, the producers come out. and Debet Goldry is the name of the character she plays on Saturday Night Live. No, somebody it else. wasn't her. Oh. Different Hollywood Golden Age starlet. But the producers come out and talk about, like, the same thing. Like, no one wants to hear about your agent and your <laughs> – it was kind of annoys me that they come out come and tell on. people yeah. what they should say in Well, their and also, like, every year we have, like, 600 tributes to shoes. Yeah. And then they give the, the speakers, what is it, 45 seconds? To give a speech, yeah. like they should be able to say what the hell they yeah. want. If, if I want an Oscar, I'm gonna if and I, I want to get there and chew gum and stare at the camera for 45 seconds, and I'm gonna do that. Oh my god, I would pay money. I hope so. Mahershala Ali, if you're listening, <laughs> just chew gum and stare at the camera. Chew gum like uh, Melissa McCarthy did on Saturday Night Live. <laughs> Greatest sketch. Uh, but yeah, it's just you know everyone sits, everyone eats. Everyone do you mingles. mill around? Because your table's chosen at random, right? Yeah, there's like a little lottery ball thing. Do they do it there live? Like they call it Chris Tapley no, table twelve. No, it's, it's a little more low key. You go over to the corner to the press table and you you spin the wheel and they give you like here's your table. Because I think I saw Denzel and Viola were sitting together, and was that coincidence or people? Uh, just... They placed the uh, the nominees, but the what press. Actually, is is oh, like, I thought that's the how whole they, thing was that. No, no, no. Okay. Um. So you know, and then everyone gets up, yeah, for the big class photo, which is <laughs> you're sitting there yeah. listening to 250 names be called by Laura Dern, and she does it well. And then every you have to applaud for people, and some people don't get mad. applaud, and it's just, yeah, you kinda, oh god, it's high school. They should have an applause meter up there. <laughs> biggest applause. Not that this ever means anything. The biggest applause I could tell was Viola, 
Bridges naturally. Like, you know, everybody loves him. Yeah. Uh, I thought the La La Land team early on got some some nice pops. But then by the 25th nomination, yeah. we're like, okay, <laughs> we get it. Oh, by the way, I dropped your name to the Kubo um, ah. VFX team and Travis Knight and was telling him, you know, how much you love the movie and how you predicted the nominations after yeah. the Bake Off. And... Um, they were uh, they instantly were like oh Chris has been so great they took it was funny they were one of those people who like they're coming down the hall they're coming down the hall and like five minutes would go by and they're like no I swear they're coming down the hall now and I was like is it because they have to come down the hall one frame at a time because <laughs> but I'm bummed <laughs> yeah well I that is such a nerdy <laughs> obscure joke and if anybody out there got it marry me oh they got it if they're listening to this they got it we have a smart audience I well I agree but. A, lot, uh, a very intelligent audience. Yes. Let, me, you know? let me let me rephrase that. If anybody out there got it and found it amusing, okay, marry me. <laughs> uh, yeah, I wrote this thing last week that just you know I'm not being overly passionate here. I love Zootopia too, but I think Leica's been in the mix for a couple of years, and it's probably time at some point to give them an Oscar. And a lot of people weirdly threatened by that post. I don't know. I don't. Really? I, would, I wouldn't be so threatened on behalf of a movie that made a billion dollars and is guaranteed to win the Oscar for animated feature. That's all I'm saying. Isn't that funny? Both I, to fans and to <clears throat> studio people. I find like the most innocuous things I write sometimes cause the gr- biggest blowups. It's 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 sad. Yes. It's like just let it go, people. Anyway, well, what do we have this week? Denis Villeneuve. Villeneuve. Oh, so wonderful. He was, you know, he is just so upset about, well, I shouldn't say upset because these are champagne problems, but like really, really bums about Amy. that Amy Adams was not nominated. We talk about that. Yeah, I'm sure. We dive into uh He's arrival. more upset than she is, I'm pretty sure. And uh, we talk about Dune a little bit and a little bit of Blade Runner, you know, try to get him to talk about it. Yeah, but. I did the same. And uh, he told me the most I think I've ever heard him say, which is basically like, I was a big fan of the original and Ryan's great to work with. And I was like, that's a scoop, because... Oh, yeah, right? Because yeah. he just won't talk about oh, it. Oh, you know what he did tell me that I found fascinating? You might already know this. He's never seen Arrival with an audience. Because hmm. he's been working and traveling. Yeah, he couldn't go been... to any of the premieres or the um, festival showings. Well, they re-expanded it, so he's got his opportunity if he wants to. Does that he's, just he's, mean... He's stuck in post on Blade yeah. Runner right now, though, so... He's in a room somewhere. Yeah. Does that just mean re-expanded? Does that mean it's back in theaters, or they've added stuff? I think they've added stuff. <gasps> get out! Yeah, that was the plan, I think. Like, uh, you know, try to get it closer to $100 million or over $100 million domestic. It's close to 200 worldwide, so... So yeah. they've added, like, scenes? No, no, no. Added screens. Screens! I said added stuff. That would be weird. Well, I didn't know what the hell that meant. I'm sorry. <laughs> anyway. It's so better to just agree than make <laughs> yeah, a yeah. question. Yeah. yeah, basically. All right, so that's. I'll be talking to me right after this. Stick around for that. You're at the top of everyone's list when it comes to translations. You hear any words? Is that? Yes. Am I the only one having trouble saying aliens? So what do they look like? You'll see soon enough. They need to see me. Dr. Banks? Now that's a proper introduction. More objects have landed around the world. It's their language. 
Welcome back, everyone. I'm here with the director of Arrival, Denis Villeneuve. Did I say that correctly? Uh, awesome. Okay. <laughs> because I, I, I do wonder if I'm saying it correctly all the time. But thanks for coming on, man. I really appreciate it. I'm very happy to be here. Uh, congratulations on your Oscar nomination for Best Director Thank for the you. film. How did that feel? That is a... Uh, I must say... I must stop to say that I'm digesting this news because it's been a while <laughs> already. But it's just that uh, being very... Uh, you know, it's it's strange because I'm living in parallel uh, two parallel universes. Yeah. There's the award seasons, and I, I'm at the same time I'm I'm, I'm working on a, on a, my next project. So I'm like uh, always one feet in, in both realities, and and it it makes uh, the award seasons uh, seems more unreal, you yeah, know, like a dream. And and um, so uh, I think that I will uh, feel the impact of this nomination in the future. But I, I, the way I feel about it is that when I think about it, is that I'm feeling that. There's a lot of directors that who, for who I have uh, for whom I have a lot of respect that never got a nomination mm-hmm. or, or or that got nominated very late in their career. So to have a nomi- uh, to, to be nominated, I feel it's it's a it's a massive honor, but at the same time it's a pressure because yeah. it means that uh, I, I have to earn it in the future. Now, <laughs> seriously, yeah. I cannot. Uh, yeah, that's the way I feel. I hear you. Uh, and regarding being being uh, involved in your next project, I mean, I, I, I've always found in talking to people and doing this for a number of years now, it's good to be working when you're involved in the award season. Actually, otherwise, you kind of just you can get really too swept up uh, in, in all it. of yeah, that. That you know? makes sense. That makes sense. And so we, maybe it's a salutary. It's just that. Uh, I'm lacking hour of sleep, but beside that, uh, <laughs> yeah, <laughs> no, it's true. It's true. Maybe it's a good way to 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 embrace that uh, little madness. It's a happy people problem, but I'm I'm just uh, no, yeah, yeah. Well, uh, I want to let's let's talk about uh, screenplays because just your last couple of films, uh, Prisoners was there were a lot of strong characters, obviously, but it was pretty plot driven. But beyond that. I feel like Enemy and uh, Arrival and Sicario, these are screenplays that uh, really allow room for you as a director to come in and put your own stamp on it, to really inject it with the atmosphere that I think you're so great at. So it just kind of made me wonder what you look for out of screenplays, particularly since you haven't written your own work in a number of years now. So what are you looking for out of screenplays? But the thing is that it, it's always, uh, I think you're, you just put your finger on it. It's just that it's like, uh, there's like, I choose screen, screenplays in the past, the, in the, my past movies that were not necessarily perfect screenplays, but that had, had the strong potential to create strong cinematic moments. And that, uh, that I, I was, I, I will be inspired, deeply inspired by as a filmmaker. Uh, there's always an element of where I feel in a screenplay, exactly a screenplay that uh, has uh, some elements of very strong poetry in, in it, a fresh voice. But uh, I like when it's it's a bit raw, and uh, I have space to evolve as a, as a filmmaker in it, which means that I will, and I say that always to uh, the screenwriter that I will be his best friend because I will 
give everything to protect his poetry and uh, and at the same time that I will be his worst enemy because <laughs> I will I will be a traitor I will deform scenes I will I will I will uh, cut dialogues I will make it my own I will be a bit of, of a barbaric asshole <laughs> with, with the material because I need to invade the the, the 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 screenplay I need to make it it's a bit like when I was adapting a, a play a stage play or, or or a book I have the same relationship with the screenplay I mean through the specifically through the storyboarding process when I storyboard uh, it's a way for me almost to rewrite uh, the material the, the screenplay I'm trying to be as faithful as possible I mean uh, uh, Sicario is still Taylor Sheridan screenplay I mean I'm trying to be faithful but still I, I make it my own mm-hmm yeah, uh, Arrival. It, it comes from this really kind of brainy short story that uh, isn't something that immediately you would think would make an easy film adaptation. Certainly. So, whenever I'm curious if there was anything, any element of the script that felt like you and Eric really needed to work on to get it there. Was there any specific thing that comes to mind? The thing is that. Uh when I read the short story, Story of Your Life, written by Ted Chang, Ted Chang I, I, uh, you're right. It doesn't pop out as, as a something that could be uh, an easy cinematic adaptation. It's an it's a intellectual uh, little uh, uh, short story that describes a process. And uh, there was not really a, a cinematic dramatic structure, obvious cinematic dramatic structure that pops out, out out of it and I think that uh, Eric uh, had, had uh, the genius to find an arc to create an arc out of it and, and to to uh, something that I, I would have not been able to do myself but once that was done um, I, I worked with Eric uh, specifically uh, I will say in, uh, on two things first uh, I, I wanted the, the language to be really at the center of the story and we worked together to uh, to make sure that the ending will, even if it was different than uh, uh, not different than the, sh- the short story, to make sure that the geopolitical resolution of the uh, of, of the conflict of the story will be uh, linked with the language, and that was very important for me. And uh, we worked hard to uh, to um, achieve that together. And uh, Eric had great ideas. Um, also, I, I, uh, there was something about the to I tried to enphase um, the intimacy of Louis' experience being in relationship with the, this uh, civilization coming coming out of, of out of space. I tried to uh, to enphase that by uh, changing the um, geography where the the, uh, the spaceship was landing at the beginning. It was like. Very close by to the, uh, you, it was like little walking distance to to the, the camp, and I, I decided to create space to to make uh, make sure that uh, for the logic of it, because I felt that the military will never put their their camp nearby the spaceship, but also to have time to create tension to to make to make sure that I will be with her to see the evolution of her tension, her fear, her apprehension. Um, the wish she f- the wish she will feel as as a as a school teacher being in a relationship with the, this object coming out of, of space and all her journey basically I, I uh, we worked hard to uh, 
make sure that we will, the story will be seen from her, her, uh, the intimacy of Louis' point of view. That I, I worked hard on that. Yeah. yeah, and that speaking of, that's another tricky element here. I mean, Amy's performance is uh, a bit of a tightrope because so much of her journey is, is in her head. So it's really inwardly uh, driven as opposed to outwardly driven, uh, which is difficult to pull off. So when you guys started to, you, you and Amy started to build this character, what, what kind of things did you talk about? The thing is that, uh, in that regard, Eric's screenplay was pretty precise about uh, where she was, how she would felt, uh, what were the the specific uh, elements of her journey, if I can say. I don't know if it makes sense in English, but uh, and and um, so that uh, for me, the, the the main point with Amy was to make sure that um, no. No matter where we were in the in the story, we will make sure that if someone was seeing the movie a first, a second, a third time, it will always make sense. You know, when you experience the movie first time, you you it's I think an intellectual uh, challenge. Mm-hmm. When you see it a second time and you know the the resolution, you know what the, what is the movie is about, and you know the the plot points, uh, then you can enjoy and embrace the genius of Amy Adams because she was able to act uh, in all those layers in the same time to make sure that it will be logically uh, um, uh, so it would be emotionally logic uh, from uh, from one uh, viewing to the other it's it's uh, what we talked about so it was really we, we made sure in each shot we were making that uh, uh, where was she emotionally very precisely that mm-hmm. was like uh, it's a maybe of a boring answer, but no. uh, it was not easy to make for Amy and and uh, um, the movie owes her everything. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. And uh, but I must say that from an mo- emotional point of view, the the, the I would say the mother's part was not easy. No, was not difficult for her to imagine. You know, mm-hmm. um, the grief of a, of a, a, a child is the most horrific thing, and, and and for her to relate to that was not. Uh, it was maybe difficult from an emotional point of view, but not difficult to imagine um, the um, the challenge of the ang- being in contact with a, a civilization coming out of space that uh, was uh, more playful for her. I yeah, uh, Amy was one of the first guests on my podcast. Actually, we recorded in uh, Telluride. Okay, wow. Okay, one of okay. your favorite places that you weren't able to attend this year, though. I'm sure you were bummed out by that, huh? Yes, because Telluride for me is a rendezvous that uh, (laughs) goes straight to my heart because it's the only place almost where you can actually be in relationships with other filmmakers. Yeah. There's no protocol. There's no uh, uh, press uh, press agent. There's no entourage. There's no pressure. There's no... It's it's just human beings, artists together uh, in relationship with the the audience. I I Honestly, uh, it's my favorite rendezvous, uh, cinematic rendezvous, and unfortunately, I was shooting in Europe, so I I wasn't able to be there with you guys. I'm a bit jealous, I must say. (laughs) I think listeners probably get tired of me hearing, uh, talking about Telluride, but it's it's true. It's amazing. Last week, I had Barry Jenkins on the show. Same thing. Just, you know, talking about Telluride for about five minutes. Mm -hmm. It's a great uh, event every year. Uh, I want to talk about Bradford Young, your cinematographer, who's amazing. And uh, but what's interesting is, uh, you know, I love Brad's work, but I don't think he was necessarily obvious for this material. And I'm, I'm wondering, you know, you've been working with Roger Deakins for a number of years, so uh, you know, whoever was going to be able to tackle this had some big shoes to fill, I guess is the best way to put it. But why did uh, Brad seem so uh, 
perfect for you? I think as a, a, a the truth is uh, at the beginning, the, the Roger was supposed to uh, be part of the project, and for s- uh, several reasons, he was not available at that moment. And so I, I, I found myself uh, an orphan without a cinematographer. <laughs> and we all know for a, f- a film director, the cinematographer is the closest partner. I mean, uh, so um, I was looking for very specific qualities, and I, I looked at the numerous... Uh, cinematographer reels I was I started to to see who was around and to say okay I, w- I, I was saying to myself that uh, not being able to, to work with uh, uh, Roger I said to myself it's an opportunity to to try to to be in total different waters to try with some an artist that has a total different sensibility and just to uh, inspire myself and to challenge myself and I I, uh, I saw and them body saint and a most violent year and I was very impressed mm-hmm. by his skills as a as a camera operator but also uh, uh, the way more more important the way he was using natural light mm-hmm. and the, the the strain that he was able to and the the personality and the sensuality that he was able to develop with natural light and um, uh, we had a few conversation. And I just felt in love with the guy. Uh, his humility, is uh, the way he's listening, is, uh, and I was looking for someone that will have uh, the patience, the warmth, the, the to be someone that will be very open to work with kids. Mm-hmm. That uh, because I was trying to capture, I, I, my goal was to capture some something very delicate and specific with the the, the child, the children, and and uh, and uh, I needed a cinematographer that will be very flexible. Also, and uh, I, I, I was also very excited by the idea of working with someone that I had never had done sci-fi before, mm. and that will approach the movie. The, our goal was to approach the movie not like a sci-fi movie, but more like a, a intimate drama about a woman who is dealing with the, the death of her uh, of her of her uh, daughter, and uh, to shoot it this way as naturalistic as possible with a very specific uh, uh, atmospheric uh, condition to, to develop exactly the light we w- wanted to do. And and uh, I felt also that Bradford is a very creative, very uh, it's a very, very fresh voice. I love artists that have, that are singular, that um, that are, are have a... There's nobody like Bradford Young. Mm-hmm. That's all, uh, Just that already for me, it's a big quality. Yeah. I, li- I like some Bradford that have strong personalities and... and uh, and they are flexible in the same time. So that that's why I mean I would say well, I worked with him. Yeah. Did you guys uh, like? Do you put together lookbooks? I'm just like ha- the look of the film. What what inspired you? Was there photography? Was there artwork? And not no. to you know I know filmmakers hate to talk in those terms because it makes it sound like what you've done is derivative. But that's not true. No. I mean I'm just curious what inspired you visually. I mean it was like really uh, uh, for me it was that light of August that uh, uh, summer. August, the humidity in the atmosphere. Uh, uh, I was saying to Bradford, you man, remember school rides when you were young? When it was like a bad Tuesday morning, rainy, boring, everybody was bored to death, but there's a kind of joy and happiness in that beauty of the rain. I don't know. It's like, like today. A, yeah, <laughs> like today, exactly. But me, it's, it's, it's uh, I know it, it, it's, it's a, uh, 
without being too much going too much personal, maybe it's, it's coming from the fact that those were my favorite days when I was young because it, it, the, the day I was allowed to 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 read and right. not going to work outside or to go to school. I mean, it's just to read, 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 and 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 um, uh, reading sci-fi and so no, but seriously, the, this this. Um, kind of light I was looking for that meme was really uh, something very specific that, that Bradford was able to capture um, add uh, the references uh, Bradford uh, I will uh, I will uh, sound stupid because there's a, I just don't remember the name of that photographer that uh, Bradford was uh, came with at that moment I will remember it later but uh, I will send you the <laughs> sure he's <laughs> often inspired by by photographers still photographers yeah, yeah, yeah. He's, he, he mentioned Martina that one I, I don't also or something like that I, I, I apologize I will uh, remember um, but um, um, it was very often my projects are inspired inspired by a painter or by a specific photographer for this one it was very uh, inspired by a uh, as I said, by uh, personal references, personal it seems like personal nostalgia. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Personal yeah. nostalgia and and and, and uh, personal references that we were sharing together, Bradford and I. So it, I must say, strangely, it's a, it's a project that I did without uh, any uh, visual reference from the start. Bradford did a lot of test. Mm-hmm. Uh, took uh, I never saw a cinematographer doing that amount of test, mm-hmm. testing lenses, testing different ways of lighting. Uh, to so we were exploring before in prep. We we did tons of those tests to find the right look for the film. So there was no real reference for me. That uh, usually my when I'm I'm doing a movie, uh, I always love to create a kind of uh, as you said a lookbook that I put on my walls. Photographs or of artists or references that will uh, be a guideline for arrival. Uh, it was totally intuitive. Uh, we, uh, we started. Uh, it, it was uh, it, that in, in in that regard. It was very singular for me to work like that. I never worked like that before. Just to go with pure intuition without any references. Interesting. Um, are are you committed? Are you like fully committed to digital and the Alexa camera? Is, is, and I'm, I'm sure part of that had to do with Roger <laughs> <laughs> and his preferences. Why but. are you saying that? <laughs> yes, no, 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 not, not at all. I, 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 um, I don't see the the the, the digital world obviously as an enemy. I'm, 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 I really love uh, before the Alexa. I didn't like the digital uh, uh, cameras. But uh, when I started to work with Alexa, I felt you need a strong cinematographer behind the camera. But there are images that are possible to do with the Alexa that uh, are quite stunning and, and impressive and uh, that have all the sensuality required. It is not 35 millimeters. For me, it's a different kind of medium. Mm-hmm. I love both. Uh, 35 is 35. I mean, it, I have a... Uh, and uh, I will hope I will uh, work with 35 uh, again one day, but I'm feeling that there's like a, sometimes a strong advantage to work on with uh, Alexa. Well, I mean, you see the images coming back from certainly from Arrival and in your other films, but uh, Blade Runner, man, that trailer looked amazing. Some of Roger's best work. I think that uh, I've been witnessing what he'd done for uh, months of work. Uh, I think it's 
will be Roger Deakins' best work. It was very impressive. Yeah. I think he, he was deeply inspired by the project, and uh, yeah, it's quite uh, impressive. Uh, yeah, I think uh, one one of the exciting things for me when I heard that you were attached to that project was I knew that meant that Roger would be coming along. Yeah, you know? yeah. So I was just like, oh, this could be good. Uh, and you know, speaking of filling big shoes, I mean, I guess take some balls to take on that project, right? I mean, it, did you feel that kind of daunting thing? I feel it uh, every day. Still, yeah, yeah you're yeah, editing yeah, now. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, uh, in the same time, um, I never had. I was never. I never be, had been that inspired and, and excited, and uh, it's difficult to talk about it because obviously I'm, I'm still uh, I'm just in the middle of it. Mm-hmm. We are in the editing room right now, so it's I don't talk about projects when they are not finished. But I can say yes, yes, it's a it's a big pressure. But I love risk. I, I uh, all my projects uh, in my life, specifically the last ones, I, I've been related with. Uh, a certain amount of artistic risk, or sometimes uh, some risk regarding how you portray reality. You know, mm-hmm. like uh, I did once a movie about a school massacre. I had a huge responsibility uh, with the uh, regarding the victims of those events. That, that was a huge uh, responsibility. I did a movie about uh, a conflict in, in in Lebanon. So it's like that again. You have a strong responsibility uh, with reality. When I did Sicario, I felt uh, I was uh, responsible for how I will portray the Mexican society there. And so, so the, I'm used to have pressure for Blade Runner. It's an artistic pl- pressure and by far the biggest ever. And, and, and that will be uh, by far the, it's the most risky project of my life. And it will be the most, I think. Coming out of it, uh, there's also uh, it created a lot of uh, honestly a uh, deep excitement yeah. to, uh, to work in that. that I'm sure that fuels you as yeah, well. Yeah. And I respect that you don't talk about projects, but I do have uh, one question, and you can talk generally if it's easier. But uh, I tried to get Johan to, to speak to this, but your, your composer, Johan Johansson. What, what kind of ideas do you have for music in that world? Because simply, I ask simply because the Vangelis stuff is so iconic in and of itself. So any any comment you can. That. Not really, because we are You're right in the middle now of that right now. That, but uh, definitely, I will say that uh, one of the element, uh, one of the elements that uh, is so iconic in Blade Runner is the sound design, mm-hmm. and uh, of course, Vangelis music, and uh, it's something that uh, I think, like the movie we are doing, we will need to find our own identity and territory. And in the same time, being faithful and and uh, linked to the first project, it's like that equilibrium that we are trying to find in on uh, all the. So it would be the same with the music. Yeah, yeah. and a movie like that kind of makes me think about practical effects versus CGI. And I'm just curious, just in general, what your uh, philosophy is when it comes to that. Me, I'm very old school. Yeah, I mean, I, I wish I had the chance to do my aliens as animatronics. <laughs> Uh, that was my dream at the beginning with Bradford. We were dreaming to put them in a gigantic aquarium with gigantic bees that will be uh, <laughs> moved by puppeteers. But sadly, it would have been uh, too expensive. Yeah. And um, so I, I, I hate green screens. I hate blue screens. It's just it's colors that suck out all my energy. I, I get me depressed when I'm in a relationship with a... It's like... Um, 
I have uh, I don't know I have an admiration for directors that can work with that in a, in a ba- daily daily uh, basis. Me, I I, I, uh, I try to avoid it as much as possible to do as much practical effects as possible. Like for instance, in, in the, on the arrival, we had we did build the old room, uh, the row, the old chamber of the spaceship with the corridor. We we there was like a, that gigantic screen with the uh, shadows behind. Uh, I really and why because it's, I think it's ten thousand times easier for actors, specifically when they have to deal with something that is linked with um, imaginary that has no relationship with reality, and it also uh, was much more easier for Bradford Young because he had he knew what he was litting and and how to lit it and and where it was coming from and the impact on the walls. And and for me too because we found tons of shots because we were uh, uh, in a real room, you know. And it was the same for Blade Runner. We try our best to do as much as possible uh, on camera, mm-hmm. building everything. Uh, and Roger was insanely uh, impressive in the, in how he he was able to recreate landscape with tricks. I, I was uh, for me uh, <laughs> it was beautiful because uh, uh, yeah a, a lot. I think I can count on my, the finger of my uh, on my fingers on my hands how many times I saw a green screen on on, uh, on all those months of shooting and wow. I mean, almost most of that time there was no uh, it was all done on camera there will be CG enhancements of course because uh, sure thing but uh, as much as possible on I camera. think that'll make a lot of people happy uh, last question here and if if you are reticent to talk about projects you're working on I imagine projects that are in the future even more so but uh, regarding the news that you will be directing Dune the thing is that I I, I was able to do uh, Blade Runner thinking that I would do nothing after <laughs> because I was uh, out of a Sicario arrival and, and uh, there was like a rhythm in the past years that was like very exciting I learned a lot as a filmmaker but I, I, I got uh, sli- slowly a bit a bit more and more tired physically. And I, as I was doing Blade Runner, which was like a very, very long shoot, uh, I knew that I, I, I remember thinking, okay, that's, that might be my last movie. That's it after. <laughs> I'm going to bed for three years after. I'm like, now that I'm editing, I'm finding back my energy. And the thing is that since I'm 12 years old, uh, there's a book that I read at uh, 12 or 13, I remember, it's not important, but uh, which is like Dune, that uh, it's my f- my favorite book uh, with 1984, I think. Uh, it's, um, and I, I um, after Prisoners, the producer asked, uh, of Alcon asked me, what you would like to do next? And I said, Dune. Spontaneously, uh, <laughs> if ever someone can get me the rights for Dune, and I, I was, and I knew that it was uh, very difficult to get those rights. And uh, it, for me, it was just a dream that something that I, I, I I guess I'm uh, lucky uh, because uh, it happened that the, the rights uh, Marie Parent from uh, Legendary got the rights and offered me, and I can't say no to you that. Can't say no to a childhood it's, dream. It's my uh, and and I have images that I'm haunted by since uh, 35 years or something like that. I will not say no to that. Wow. You know, yeah. That's awesome. Is that the kind of thing? I mean, do you perceive that world as one that reaches beyond one movie? You're getting pressure, maybe, to 
franchise, something like that, or is it far too early to talk about? That? It's it's very early to talk. I gave about you that. an easy no, out. No, 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 because it's it's a, it's a, honestly there's a, it's a, we are at ground zero right now. There's nothing done. There's like it's just a, the the birth of uh, the talk, but uh, it, uh, that's going to be uh, again a massive challenge, but a project of my life definitely. Yeah. Awesome. Well, good luck with it, and uh, congratulations again on arrival. Uh, eight nominations, I think. Exactly. Uh, uh, sad that Amy could not be one of them. Very sad because if I I I, I, grant, I took for granted that this one would be a given because uh, everybody was were so impressed by what she did and I I she was my muse. I owe her everything. She she's a rival. She's the one that made it happen. So I was very sad. Yes. Yeah. But happy for my crew, but sad for Amy. Indeed. Well, uh, congratulations again, and, and good luck on the circuit. And just soak it all in, man. Keep working, but soak it all in. <laughs> Thank all you. Right? Bye-bye. Thanks for listening, everyone. Remember to subscribe and check back next week when I'll be talking to Manchester-by-the-Sea writer and director Kenneth Lonergan. You've been listening to Playback at Variety. Variety.